Hello again and welcome to another episode of College Football Down Under. My name is Aaron Kemp. As always, I am joined by Will Murden. How's it going tonight on this Friday night, William? It is a Friday night. It's going well. I feel like we've been a long time between drinks. Um, wait. Not literally, but... No, yeah, we've got drinks in our hands, but it has been a little while, so we've been catching up. I feel like we're getting into this a little bit late tonight, because we've just been talking shit for quite some time. Exactly, and that's only going to continue. It will, uh, So, and I feel like our listeners have missed out on some of the banter we've had here, because it's, it's top shelf. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> mediocre at best, but... We have got a huge, huge show. There's been a lot that's happened in the college football world, a lot that's happening in the real world that can probably uh, keep things a little bit even for us or bring us back to reality a fraction. Obviously, there are a lot of fires going on in the country right now and um, you know our thoughts do go out to those people that are affected and certainly are affected in our community. I think, I think, in fact, we discussed this last time. We had an episode, I think, fires were just kicking off. Yeah, we certainly mentioned it. Like, it was yeah. certainly a thing when we were talking about that because we had the, the stuff here in South Australia that yeah, was yeah. kind of in and around areas where we'd grown up and it was a thing. But now it's just taken a, a life of its own. And I'm, I'm sure, like, obviously every Australian listener is all across this. The American listeners now, too, would be the same. But it really is at the point where it's kind of like two degrees of... Of bushfire separation yeah like, you know you talk what is it six degrees of kevin bacon where that's how far away you are everyone almost everyone in australia is almost directly impacted in that they know someone either they've been impacted themselves or they know someone who has been significantly impacted by this and it's scary when it gets to that level of yeah of impact well i know people that have lost houses had to put down animals uh their own like livestock horses things like that chatting to a guy today never met him before um chatting to him his family's in Kingscote at the moment on kangaroo island so they are camping on the oval hiding out because that's one of the last safe havens on that entire island which is not a small piece of land no i mean i was supposed to go on holiday there you were i thought you might have been starting them over there i was a little bit concerned because it was like smack bang when you were supposed to be over i thought you were over there we weren't in contact and i was like oh aaron's really yeah dropped off the map here is he Yeah. yeah but Thankfully not. No, but on in other news, Happy New Year, of course, yes. as well. Uh, a little bit of a quieter one for you this year. Yeah, my, my first one sober in since I was, what, 15 years old probably? So that's going back a little ways now. Uh, I don't know how I feel about it. I still felt that I woke up with a hangover and it was just <laughs> natural. The body was like, this is the 1st of January, you're supposed to feel like shit. <laughs> well, here we are in 2020. We have got a massive amount of college football content to get to. We've got some games to touch on that obviously have been played and results to cover off on. We've got the national championship game coming up in only what is kind of a few days' time. Uh, So we'll take you through the big LSU-Clemson matchup. Uh, We have also got uh, some, you know, the heavy hitters from a statistical department with our helmet stickers got some bold predictions we go on the punt with will and see how he has gone over the festive period uh there is a few bits of news and on top of that we've got a little game just to keep will honest as well so a massive massive show ahead of us is there anywhere that you would like to start from a college football sense will uh talking college football there has been a lot so i think it's it'd be good for us to kind of touch on a couple of things that have happened recently so there's still some coach moves happening obviously uh the big news to drop today was mike leach landing at mississippi state so obviously the 
quirky, charismatic uh, head coach out at Washington State, very well known for that air raid style offense, has had only just signed an extension on through to 2024 or 25 or whatever it was there. And then I was quite surprised to wake up this morning to find he'd taken the job at Mississippi State. Yeah, I mean, I kind of had seen this a little bit before that. Uh, it officially came out yesterday. Obviously, to allow Mike Leach to be hired, they needed to part ways with their existing head coach, which is Joe Moorhead, formerly the offensive coordinator at Penn State. After two years? After only two years, which I found a bit of an interesting one. He probably didn't reach the heights that they were expecting from him. And offensively, they didn't really get going. But he had good defenses yeah, and perhaps it, wasted those a little bit. I don't know. It felt very much like it wasn't so much results-driven with that Mississippi State one. Like, yes, they weren't as successful as maybe they had hoped. But it certainly wasn't that they were terrible. They were, they were over 500. It was other areas of the program that they were concerned that they deemed were not traveling or representing what Mississippi State was about. So when I read that, I was probably more understanding of it because I'm never happy to see a head coach only get two years at the college level because none of those kids are that guy's dude, like like that dude's selections. Yeah. And, you know, if, if you're going to try and judge people that harshly that early, you're not going to have success. The only time I am okay with that is if you think that something's wrong with the culture. They're not going about it the right way. They're not accurately reflecting what you as an institution would like to put out there. And if that's what they've seen and they think that's the case, then I'm kind of okay with that. Yeah, for sure. And I, and I think from an athletic department, if you do have people in there that aren't driving the ethos, morals, culture of the school that you want to reflect, absolutely, they don't need to be there. So, uh, But having said that, they're going to bring in someone who is left of field. I think it's a real, like... He's a great Twitter follow. Uh, he, he's, a, he's a random dude. On top of that, I mean, there were some other names that were floated. Gene Chiswick was one, um, but he kind of walked away from that job. There's a few others, and, and all of a sudden, it seemed like Mississippi State were going, oh, we fired Joe Moorhead. We thought we had someone in place. And all of a sudden, they're kind of turning their backs on us. So who are we going to go and get? We go and get one of the weirdest operators perhaps ever in the college football sphere. He is a notor- known as a notoriously poor recruiter, which in the SEC is dangerous, and he is stubborn to the point of following his system to his death at times. He, he did cite one of the reasons for going to Mississippi State was because of the recruiting hotbed that exists in Mississippi. So that was an interesting one to see. Yeah, but he's never been a great recruiter. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. that's sort of he's open to a challenge, it, obviously. He's never had a defense, so it'll be interesting to see what kind of staff he puts around himself. And on the flip side of that, if you look at what Wazoo, it was a bit of a coup when Washington State pulled him. Uh, he wasn't actually coaching at the time, I don't think, and they pulled him, and, and and that was a massive, massive get for them. And he got them ranked in the top ten. They went and beat USC. He, the, uh, they had a some really, really good seasons. Absolutely, he has put together top ten offensive units now at Washington State. Before that, at Texas Tech, for something I'm, I'm not sure of the exact stats, but it's like nine of ten years. Yeah, or like it's like every year he is at those program. They are an elite offensive unit. Yeah. Yes, it comes with its downside, as you mentioned earlier, but you know what you're kind of going to get. And I like this. I, I like a team with an identity. It's going to be a change in Starkville. 
But the SEC West, I mean, this is the storyline. It's it's like they got they saw the Big Ten East, is it? And then and they were a bit worried about, ooh, there's a few players in here. They're starting to get some news. We need to shake things up so it's all about us again. Because yeah. now you're talking Nick Saban, Ed Orgeron, Lane Kiffin, who's... Well, you got Lane Kiffin and the Pirate in the same state. <laughs> in, the egg, in the Egg Bowl. <laughs> I know. Mike Leach, Jimbo Fisher, Gus Malzahn, and is it uh, Pittman? At Arkansas, yeah, the, this is an incredible group of coaches that we're going to get to see go head to head. So I'm, I'm already looking forward to that for next year. The one you hear often with these, particularly the air raid, the purest air raids and and purest spread teams, is that, and we talked about this last season a little bit, is that those spread offenses were brought to even out talent. And that's what he says. His kind of thing is when when you don't. His ethos with with what he's about, and he's very much like an art of war sort of dude. Yeah, uh, he he quotes part of that to talk about where you're not the most talented. You need to find ways to outmaneuver and manipulate the playing field in to to flatten the surface and to swing things in your favor and he's very much about that which is intriguing it's really interesting stuff. It, it is and and that's where the spread and the air rate well all offenses come from that's where any innovation comes from it's born out of necessity so he's done that but all of a sudden he will have access to more talent and the, the argument consistently becomes is when you have more talent in these wide open offenses or sometimes get called finesse or gimmicky or whatever term you want to put on them that when you actually have talent in them they must just be crazy good like he's going to go from having one of the hardest recruiting jobs probably in all of college football but certainly in power five up at pullman to then going to starkville where he's going to have access to more talent more resources a bigger recruiting budget and like does that mean his offense is going to take off even more? We've seen it with Willie Taggart, who struggled at Florida State. Kendall Bryles, when he moved along, struggled. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if this offense, which we constantly hear, oh, it's working at this school, so that means at a bigger and better school, it must work there as well. It'll be interesting to see if that is actually what comes to fruition. I, I think the injection of talent that we see gets kind of balanced out by the level of competition that they're going to come up against on a regular basis. That's the only thing that I would say against that. Like the SEC West is stronger than the Pac-12 North. North. Like that—that that, that is the case. There's no arguing that. So when we see that, I, I, I think it's going to be a fascinating one. I really look forward to this storyline already, but there, there's certainly, yeah, it's not, going to be an easy one to dissect and, and make some early assumptions on. So early prediction, Mike Leach's passing offense is top 10 in the nation next year? Uh, oh, I hope so. I hope so. Yes or no? No. Okay, interesting. So it doesn't carry over. Anyway, uh, other names around college football. Matt Rule leaves Baylor and heads to the Carolina Panthers. Now, this has been in the works for... Two years he was called by the Giants, I think, last yeah. year and well, someone no. else. So, oh, yeah, so not, I think it was so the Giants Jets, this year. The, the, the Jets, Jets last year. year. Yeah. He, he seemed to be a front runner for the Giants where he was previously an offensive line assistant coach or something like that. I think he's a New York guy, so a lot of people kind of pegged him for that one. But he's landed in Carolina. They, they made the move. They went out and, and got him. And, you know, that, that's a great get for them. He's shown that he can rebuild a program. I don't know if he's shown that he can sustain excellence. Like he's certainly taken Temple and Baylor from one-win teams to, 
challenging for conference championships, that's great. What you haven't seen from him is consistent success at a higher level. So I think he, he does an excellent job of bringing that. And I think he'll be a successful coach. I, I think he, he's got the right uh, attitude about how he gets the best out of players. And that's most of what this sport is, especially at the elite levels, is everyone's really fucking good. How can you be better than the rest? What can you do from a mental side of things to, to get that out of your players? So I, I hope he's successful. And as an Oklahoma State fan, I'm glad to see him leave the, the Big 12. Oh, that's good. Uh, yeah, I think it'll be interesting. I mean, the NFL is a totally different ball game, uh, and it's and it, it's going to be difficult. It's it's hard to measure success in college and think that it means success in the NFL as well because we've seen some of the best coaches uh, in college football, whether it's Nick Saban or whoever, go up to the NFL and really, really battle. Uh, and I think part of that is to do... I, I mean, Matt Rule and the way he operates, he kept games close last year uh, at Baylor. And I think he'll do so again at Carolina. The issue with the NFL is that every game is often super close. Parity in the NFL is so strong. And he's going to have a situation where he will keep games close. He will keep them in and around the mark. So it wouldn't surprise me to see the Panthers go kind of 8-8 eight and eight next year and kind of... He's, he's always had teams that their floor's quite high or their floor and their ceiling are close together, which is something that happens in the NFL anyway. Uh, so which, which job, and this is a bit of an NFL one, but if you had the option, the New York job or the Carolina job, what would you jump at? I'd go Carolina. I'm like, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm not a I'm, big Daniel Jones believer. Uh, yeah, well, there's that. Well, because no, but a lot of people say that that is a very appealing job because they see a bright future for him. Yeah, I mean, it, it wouldn't be that. It's the fact that I'm going to draw a weird parallel here, but we've just seen Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. Exactly. Yeah, so they have kind of said that they, or her particularly, struggling to handle the media coverage and I'm not going to go into the depths of that but I can I understand that it's completely warranted the big royalist that you are yep <laughs> well I'm not but uh, but that must be such an invasion of privacy and if there was a comparison to that in America from a media standpoint it would be New York yeah, so be. so if you're not that into being hounded and followed and invaded and and ridden really hard then maybe new york's not the kind of city that you want to be uh coaching football in yeah no that, and that's very i don't know smart of you to kind of come up and and think of it that way i was thinking purely more from a football side of things but that all of those factors should come into it and would come into it for someone like that Okay, let's move on. We've spent a lot of time on coaching, we but have. there will be you know a lot more to move in here. Oregon's still looking for an offensive coordinator. Washington State obviously looking for a head coach. Um, Oklahoma State looking for a head offensive, co- offensive coordinator. coordinator. Yeah, of course. So a lot of room to move here. Yes. Uh, declaration. So there's been a whole bunch after the kind of all the other bowl games finished with only one game to come. A whole bunch of declarations and a whole bunch of underclassmen of the standard that I don't know that we've seen for a long time, the depth in particularly the skill position. skill position players is what, is is what really sets this is one apart, nuts. isn't it? So yeah, take us through it. it it's awesome. So I think we'll, we'll try and keep this short because we do have a lot to cover in this episode and we're going to have some opportunity 
uh, perhaps in our national championship review and some time in the offseason to talk about all of these guys. But the big names that have uh, currently flagged that they're declaring for the draft, Tua Tagovailoa. So he had the press conference. We didn't know which way he was going to go. He might have come back to rehab and then kind of put himself up there. He's gone out. He will be a first-round pick. I expect. But probably won't play next year. I think from what I'm hearing, it, the medical reports are pretty positive. They're expecting okay. him to be available a lot earlier than initially expected. I mean, obviously those questions are going to be peppered at him throughout the combine oh, yeah. process. So yeah. we'll hear more on that. But I, I mean, it's it, yeah, it's I sh- he would have a doctor following him around. Which like <laughs> just points to that guy. I'm with that guy on, <laughs> on a t-shirt. Yeah. Uh, Jake Fromm coming out at Georgia is a surprising one to me. Uh, so I, he would be a he would he's a red shirt junior or just straight junior straight junior straight junior and I kind of half expected him to go back uh, after a yeah. somewhat disappointing year at Georgia he certainly could have yeah. gone back had a bit more success there and put himself forward but that's not to be so he's gone out Jacob Eason another former Georgia boy out at Washington. We've kind of mentioned this. Who's next in the Georgia quarterback ranks all of a sudden? I'm sure they'll have a five-star boy that's coming through. Yeah, you say that, but Justin Fields is gone, obviously. Jacob Eason's not there. Jake Fromm. They had the best quarterback room in the nation by far, um, and now they're down to God knows who. So it be interesting one to see what happens at Georgia from a quarterback perspective. Yeah, they may be looking to the transfer portal. For someone there? Yeah. I mean, there's and there's a lot of quarterbacks in there as well. So uh, I'm not entirely sure how, okay. yeah. how George's depth chart. I'm, you know what? I'm going to pull up George's depth chart, but keep taking us through. Uh, Jordan Love is the other one at Utah State that's been talked about. Probably a disappointing year this year from what we were hoping to see coming into it. He has the tools and is a really intriguing prospect. So if he can get his decision-making right, he's one that someone is going to take a gamble on. Uh, the running back position, obviously, you know this. Uh, the you they tend to come out a bit earlier because of the wear and tear at that position. So more often than it, it's quite rare to see running backs get to the senior to be a senior if they're any good because they're going to go get that payday while they can. Stetson Bennett sounds like a sounds He's like the a baller. Quarterback at Georgia was he five star? Redshirt sophomore transfer. Ooh. Okay, interesting. So, <laughs> they could be a little bit thin in the Georgia QB room. This this running back class is Sorry. elite, and I'm I'm excited by it as a uh, fantasy football fan. But we're looking at the likes of DeAndre Swift, Jonathan Taylor, Cam Akers, Eno Benjamin, AJ Dillon, J.K. Dobbins, DJ Dallas out at Miami, uh, and then probably Travis Etienne is going to be added to this list. Chuba Hubbard's still unknown at Oklahoma State. Why hasn't he declared? Like, if he was going to, surely he would have. He set a like a two week little window that he said he would make a decision for after the bowl game. It's really getting close to that. There's been a whole heap of speculation. Like, as an Oklahoma State fan, I'm obviously following it quite closely. All of the players uh, sent out a Canadian flag tweet that was kind of like a cryptic thing. Is that like? People were saying, he's oh, he's coming Canada. back. <laughs> he's, he's, he's coming back. This is happening. And then it was, oh, no, that's an ode to kind of say thank you for your time here. And now we just don't fucking know. Yeah, yeah. So I think the, the one positive thing is that because this class is so loaded, come back. Win yourself the, the Dope one. Walker yeah. Award. 
put yourself out there as the top prospect and go that way just rather like, than just like Bryce Love did at Stanford. Well, that's uh, the risk, obviously, yeah. and and there is insurance for that, but <laughs> that <laughs> yeah. is the risk. Uh, let's move on to wide receivers, and as I said, we'll we'll talk about all these guys a little bit later when we have a bit more time in our follow-on show. But wide receivers is a great class too. I mean, really, really good. Jerry Judy, Ceedee Lamb, Henry Ruggs. LaVisca Chanel, Jalen Rager, KJ Hamler, Quintez Cephas, Lynn Bowden, who I don't know if you call him a receiver. He's played quarterback for a fair while now. Yeah, but he's I mean, also... He's receiver, he's receiver at the next level. Yeah, but he also, as a quarterback, doesn't run the ball, the ball 34 <laughs> times. So yeah, yeah. He's jack of all trades and he's exciting. But uh, that group there is also really good too with some star talent to be added from the national championship game as well. Who is in line to leave from the national championship game? T. Higgins. T. Higgins is a big one. He'll be a first round receiver to come out. Uh, Jamar Jefferson. Yes. He's, he's certainly Justin play- Jefferson. Justin Jefferson. Jamar Chase. Jamar Chase. Yeah, how. yeah. No, both of them. But both of those guys have the potential to be, you know, day one, day two picks. Terrence Marshall. I don't know if he can come out, but yeah, hell of a lot of talent. Yeah, that's why, and that's why those guys are playing on on the last. Uh, day in the college football season but all of that there those are all the underclassmen yes yeah like you've still got all your seniors obviously like you, when you are good enough at that level then you, you take the step but it's a really exciting skill position group we'll probably spend a bit more time going over the other positions a little bit later on but i yeah it's and so un- it's been g- awesome. generally for those australians who aren't clear you're not required to stay your full four years of college or you don't have to finish and as a senior you can elect to come out early as an underclassman that's what these guys have done generally you do see it from the skill position players more than not offensive linemen defensive linemen just due to the physical nature of their position the fact that they need to put on mass and body weight and be in the gym and eat more food the you know they could be from yeah they yeah longer. absolutely yep. so um, yeah, uh, lots to come in this space. It should be a really good draft this year. I'm not a massive draft head. I know you are, uh, but it, I'll watch with keen interest this year. Yeah, I mean, I love it because I love college football and it's kind of the culmination of a lot of that and I'm quite familiar with a lot of these players, so I'm fascinated to see where it goes. been disappointed the last couple of years because my beloved Bears have traded away their first-round pick for Khalil Mack. Not disappointed about that because dude's a superstar, but it means I watch day one without any picks so yeah. you're kind of a bit bummed out by that if we could trade back into the first round that'd be great yeah you trade in at 29 and pick up a scrub anyway uh, Lamar Jackson quick... oh, <laughs> zing uh, okay quick game for you William uh, it is the end or the start of the following decade so we're into the 2020s we now made it. there'll be some real lame like 2020 vision type stuff that'll when come out when did we out. first meet when did we first yeah. meet? 2000? Uh, no, uh, 2000 would have been year seven. Mm, shows how old then? we are. Yeah, we played some basketball together. Okay. Remember we played some like rep basketball together? And obviously we were fucking <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Legends. <laughs> exactly. But so before that? Yeah, it would have been. would have been pretty so young. So we've known each other for more than two decades. Yeah, for sure. That's pretty cool. Uh, a bit like Vince Carter playing in four decades <laughs> yeah. in the basketball. Not there yet. Not there yet. Okay. So, this is a game of what is more likely to occur. So, over the next 10 years, some of this will be pertaining to the next 10 years. Some of it is really only focusing on next year. But you need to make a prediction about what is more likely of the two scenarios into the future. So, 
What is more likely, LSU make the playoff next year or Oklahoma get another quarterback as a Heisman Trophy finalist? Ooh, what that's is a good more one. likely? That's a good one. So, I mean, it's looking like Spencer Rattler's going to be the guy. There's still talk of another transfer coming in and, and that would be crazy to see that happen. And if it does, I mean, either way, there's a good chance that in Lincoln Riley's system, you're going to have the numbers for that to be the case. I think what's going to hurt Oklahoma next year is that we're going to see the distance that they have on the rest of the Big 12 close up a little bit. I'm expecting that to tighten up. So I'm going to say that it's more likely for LSU to return, even though they lose Joe Burrow. They've been awesome. They're still going to be awesome. Yes, there's turnover, but they're going to be a top five team going into next year. I'm saying that's more likely than the Oklahoma Heisman. Okay, cool. All right, over the next 10 years, Clemson will win the ACC seven or more times, or they won't. What's more likely? That is a tough one. I mean, what's Darbo's contract? 10 years? Something like that. Yeah, I'm backing them in to get that done. I mean, there's, that's crazy to think about. Like, a team's dominance to that level over that period of time, especially if you cast back whatever's, what's it been now, four or five years where, where they've been that too. Well, this is their fourth trip to the national title game? Yeah, yeah. In a row, maybe? Yeah. They're, they're, like, they're a juggernaut, and there is no sign of that slowing down at the moment. Like, okay. Darbo's not an old guy. He ain't retiring anytime soon. The recruiting still at an elite level. He seems impassioned by it. Like, yeah, I'll, I'll back Clemson in. Okay. I won't. I wouldn't. And I don't really have a great reason. It's just hard to show this sustained oh, yeah. success. The other thing I will say is that that Alabama job will come up within the next 10 years and he's an Alabama guy former Alabama receiver um, praise the Lord all that kind of stuff and I believe I don't know if this is rumors or whatever or fans talking but there is a clause in his contract about the Alabama job. Yeah, I think he's, I don't he's know if that's on true. from that though. Like he's what he's built there now kind of supersedes not the Alabama job, but like it's, it's. I'm not. I'm not saying that it yeah, doesn't, but yeah. I still like there is a passion that people have for their their schools, their, their alma, alma mater. Yeah. yeah. All right, the, and I'll throw another question here for you. This isn't a what's more likely, but a Clemson a blue blood. Yes. What defines a blue blood school? Because they didn't used to be. No. Well, they were they were kind of because they were good. They, yeah, but they, they were good, but, but they, they, they had winning. No, they had known. Well, they were winning until it got important. Like yeah, they were so, still so in they the were conversation. Doing, they were doing what Oregon does, or I guess you know, they have. I guess, know. but you could argue Oregon's a blue blood. Is it? What is a blue blood, and how do you become one? It's a, it's a very good question. <laughs> and uh, can you money? <laughs> can you unblue blood? I think you certainly can unblue blood. Okay. And I, I think like part of it is historical. Yeah. Okay. Right? Uh, and it and it it's success. Uh, and obviously money and success go hand in hand because money will drive the success a lot of the time, but it's a, a fan base as well. Like you can't just be a big fan base. You need to be a big fan base and successful. So like somewhere like UCF, they could keep winning 11 times a year. They're not a blue blood. Okay. Doesn't matter. 
Okay. The, the fan base isn't there. The history isn't there. It, it's going to take a long time for them to get there. But if you've got historical programs like your Michigans, your Alabamas. So, Michigan, so Michigan's a good example because they haven't really won much recently. They've yeah. been more successful under Harbaugh. They st- haven't won the Big Ten for a long, long time. Uh, at what point do they unblue blood or is it the fact that their history is so strong I think that their blue blood status hangs on a little bit longer absolutely yeah they've got some serious respect and previously okay and and that does play into it and it's a fascinating conversation when you when you look at it that we can really probably dissect at, a, at another time but it's yeah it's kind of a feeling of things now clemson certainly to me have become a blue blood program Okay. From where they're at, from the success that they've had, from the fact that they've always been okay. Like, it's not as if they were a shitty team for a long time and now they've jumped up and they're really no. good. No. They've been good. They just never got over that hurdle and now they've just blown the lid off it and they're, they're awesome. Yeah. But yeah, it's a combination of history, success, tradition, fan bases, all of that. Okay. We will have to go into that in more depth and I'll get you to put your blue list together. And see just how big that thing gets. Yeah, I like gets. that. We, we, can, we can match up blue lists. Okay. Uh, last question. What is more likely? Clay Helton is the coach of USC to start the 2021 season. Or Charles Chip Kelly is the coach of UCLA. What is more likely? Uh, I'm going to go with Chip Kelly being the coach is more likely. I think Clay Helton is still very much uh, under the gun. The fact that they lost their bowl game... Uh, that their recruiting class is an absolute <laughs> fucking disaster. <laughs> that is. It, by all accounts, it looks like their 21 class at the moment is top 10 Yeah, from what I've seen. So that's good. That's positive. They need that. But expectations are always super high there. When, when, whenever you've been on a hot seat for a prolonged period, that starts to wear thin. Like you either need to shit or get off the pot. <laughs> sort of thing and, and he's kind of bouncing up and down does enough to keep his job and, and I'm all for that but I think he's probably in more danger and it's not to say that Chip's safe he needs to start to see some results now too but I kind of expect to see that he's he's he can start to see some of his kids come in now his system hopefully will start to grow a little bit so I think he's just a bit safer but not yeah, I think I think keeping Graham Harrell is a massive step because that offense looks so good in the second half of the year. Uh, so I think wouldn't surprise me to see Clay Helton and USC with a bit of momentum to start the year next year. But I've already yeah. said that. Okay, let's not hang around too much longer. Game recap time. Now there are a whole heap of games to get through. We will start with the semifinals. So let's go big straight away. We'll start with the massive, massive blowout. Oklahoma twenty-eight get absolutely bent over and railroaded. Prison style by LSU, 28-63. Uh, let's start at the best. I, I usually start with the, the negative, and I'm not. I'm going to start with the positive this time, and that is Joe Burrow through th- seven. That's right. Count them up, seven. Justin Jefferson was counting them as well as he was dancing around in the end zone. Seven first-half touchdowns, broke all kind of records, ended up nearly 500 yards through the air, and he got a score on the ground to boot as well. The Bolitnikoff winner, Jamar Chase, was kept in check for most part, but the aforementioned Justin Jefferson was not. He had 14 for 227 and four TDs. The thing that I noticed when I was watching this with you is everything Joe Burrow threw up 
was caught. It was unbelievable in that first half to watch. Some of the shit that he was just launching into the secondary, into double teams, throwing off his back foot. His receivers just got up there, climbed the ladder. They weren't bad throws necessarily. Like a DB was turned around and didn't see the ball coming. It wasn't like necessarily a high-risk throw. But... It, like they're not balls you complete and he was completing yeah. every one of them yeah. and it, it was it, just fucked it was a combination of all of that though like it was he was throwing the ball where only his receiver could make a play so it wasn't a bad ball but it's not like an automatic thing no. you still need an incredibly good receiver who's having a good day in the right position to catch that and that just happened yeah continually like <laughs> all fucking day he, he, you're right there were, there were some Ugly balls, they, they weren't tight spirals, but they're in a spot where only his receiver can make a play and his receiver's made a play. And, and that's been the story all year. Yeah. Like we've, I think we've seen probably the most dominant, efficient, successful, pure season from a quarterback that's ever happened. Yeah, I mean, a passing he, quarterback. I mean, he's not Russell Wilson, the Seahawks, where he's like running around and then throwing the deep ball a lot. A lot of the stuff he's getting it out quick, but I just found in this game, especially, like his receivers just made plays correct and it, and it like hasn't it just, just been this just it's fun. been all year that this has been the case like if this was a one-off sort of thing that you see a, blow, a team get blown out like that you're like yeah he was just on no yeah. he's put up heisman numbers doing this all year yeah like this was kind of the pinnacle of it with seven touchdowns in the first half yeah but this and what they're doing a lot of it comes down to that gameplay that that the game style that they've implemented their offensive style of knowing exactly when they should be throwing the ball against what sort of coverage is because it's a situation that puts them in a great position to make a play. Like that's that's not happening by chance. A lot of that is schemed up and, and it's working for them at such an elite level. So yeah, he was nothing short of incredible in this one. It was a bit of a disappointing game. I mean, the kind of the sentiment that we had watching it and, and following it as it was happening was, all right, let's kind of, Tonk this one at halftime, call it done, and, and get the next one started because yeah. this is a bloodbath. Yeah. Uh, I mean, on that, where does this leave Oklahoma? Because Jalen Hurts struggled. He was just no match at all. He, as much as the commentators tried to suggest that he was and he'll go and have a good career in the NFL, he won't. He's not good. Uh, he still can't throw the intermediate deep ball accurately enough. Uh, and he's not shifty enough either. Uh, but uh, you know, running the ball on the ground. But it wasn't. It wasn't that LSU's defense was solid. But Lincoln Riley has now failed for the second time. Last year was closer, obviously. But where does this leave the Sooners and the Big Twelve? This is almost starting to to develop as a bit of a monkey on the back for them, and a bit like Oregon back towards the old end of the BCS days, and even the start of the college football semifinal. They got in the ring with the big boys and just could not handle both sides of the ball uh, but particularly when they got behind they couldn't muscle up and handle the physicality of the entire team I mean where does this leave the Sooners I, I still think that a lot of the media coverage around this one has been that, that you know they didn't deserve to be there or that you know this is embarrassing Oklahoma or uh, I know good blah 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 this was kind of what I expected in this game. You've got to remember that Oklahoma were missing three starting players from their lineup, and they were going up against a team that were considered to be much better than them before that was the case. Like, going into this, we everyone knew that there were three very good teams and then the rest, 
and the Oklahoma was the best of the rest. Like that was quite clear, and and there wasn't too much of a thing there. So the fact that they're there and they were able to win that spot, I think, speaks to where they're at. And you you got to continue to fight for that. I don't think you need to make wholesale changes if you're the Sooners to try and get to that level. I think you need maybe a little bit more luck. I think Jalen Hurts, as you said, was great, but wasn't what they needed. Like. If you put one of their previous running backs, uh, sorry, quarterbacks in there, have a Kyler Murray who had a really special season, do you get something more out of that? And you're not going up against a Joe Burrow who's having the success that he has. Does that kind of swing things around and maybe you win this one in, in a different season? I don't know. You, you've lost that one by a lot of points. Yeah, I mean, this like, one, absolutely. Like this, Kyler this one you, is not making a 30 No, no, no. This one you rule out. But this yeah. one, they had everything against them. They yeah. weren't as good. They were missing players. This wasn't their year to do it, but they're still around the mark. Yeah. If you're chipping away and around that top four mark, there's going to be years where your players, your quarterback's the best player in the competition, which I've had the two years before that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You're, you know, you've got a little bit more experience on the defense. Like things are happening your way. As long as you're around that mark, I, th- I don't think you go trying to change too much of it. I think there's certainly tweaks that can be made, but you know, finishing top four, I'm not going all in and bagging them. And that's hard for me to do as a uh, Oklahoma State fan. <laughs> okay. I will quickly mention the tragic passing of Steve Esminger, who is the offensive coordinator of LSU. His daughter-in-law was killed tragically uh, the, day, the day before the game, yeah. which is just horrifying. Um, so not a good one, but hopefully, I mean, there is no consolation in that space but hopefully lsu can go and make a good shake of it in the national championship game all right let's go to the next one so this one and i'm gonna say i kind of called this because ohio state were the number one team in the nation they played in the big 10 championship game they got off to that sluggish start that allowed lsu to jump them i still think lsu deserved to be number one i'm not saying that but I think if ohio state had played a solid 60 minutes in the big 10 championship game they get oklahoma and I think that Oklahoma then Ohio State handle them. Unfortunately, Ohio State get you know a, a totally different kettle of fish, and that is the Clemson Tigers. So I'll let you take us through this one. But Clemson win this as the second Tiger victory on the day. They come from behind, twenty nine to twenty three, and I've got three points that I will probably address. But I'll let you touch on any of these if you would like, and that is refereeing decisions. Missed opportunities in the red zone and the come from behind by Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, okay. So it, this was uh, the complete opposite to the previous game. I mean, the previous game, uh, the first semi final was good fun to watch, but it kind of grew a little bit boring. Like it was, you always like to see greatness, and that's what Joe Burrow was doing. So that was cool, but then you got over it. This one was exciting it was you were you were kind of on the edge of your seat every play especially as it got down the stretch because it was tight and you didn't know what was going to happen I felt early on that uh, Ohio State had this one they were clear and and they should have been further clear than what they were so they they started out 16 to nothing uh, ahead I think before Clemson got on the scoreboard and that easily could have been a lot more too uh, I think one of your points was red zone and inability to score in the red zone. 
a lot of what I saw in that space was not so much their inability to store a score, but Clemson's ability to stiffen up and make plays like that. They were super impressive in what they were able to do because the momentum of that period was well and truly with Ohio state. They were, they were making all the plays, everything was happening, but that Clemson side dug down, provided something and made those stops that me as a fan who was watching didn't really have much of a, a dog in the fight thought that Ohio state would win. And when I saw that, I go, Ooh, they're in trouble here. You know, Clemson are a good side that's going to come back. And that's what we saw. I mean, we- you, you, you're right in that it felt like even when Ohio State were marching the ball, and they had like a first and 10 at the eight, and, uh, and they had to kick a field goal. They had a first and goal, and then they had to kick a field goal. And it felt that even though they were getting scored on, Clemson was sort of still gaining a little bit of momentum from that. So, yeah, I thought it was impressive. Yeah, and... They, Clemson are that side that we didn't really know about because they hadn't played anyone. I was still confident. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was that, but you didn't really know that. So no. then when Ohio State did jump out to a 16 nothing lead, you quickly like, oh, fuck, maybe they aren't all that. Maybe they are well overmatched here and, and this is going to be it. It didn't quite look like that was going to be the case, but you thought, shit, this Ohio State team is pretty special. But credit to Clemson, they kept clawing away, they kept doing it. And this is what Darbo does. This like he, He's a very good coach in that he is a culture guy. He is a all about the players and making them believe in the system in each other in a greater thing other than themselves and and buying into that and everything that you hear from him and that he presses is kind of that mantra and that's what he was like in his press conference after the game that's what he was like before the game with the players like you guys are champions they they cannot match our group of players in terms of your desire your willingness correct and and, and and none of it's about individuals none of it's about talent none of it's about specifics it is just a kind of want and desire to be great together as a group and and that's it and a belief that they can do that and that nothing can stop that and they buy into it wholeheartedly and and don't be wrong like every college football team does the same similar stuff or tries to they try and establish the same thing he just does it to he just does it to another level correct so yeah i mean in the end it it came down as you i mean i don't know if you want to touch on there were a few uh decisions from referees that obviously got a lot of airtime after this one I, yeah, I mean the first one was the i actually think the refereeing got it right both times I know you were a little bit iffy on the catch and fumble. We'll get to that in a second. But the first one was the J.K. Dobbins uh, wheel route that he ran. Score and, and that drop, Score and yeah. then didn't complete yeah, the process yeah. of the catch. I don't think there was too much argument with that one. I, I think, think most people, catch, yeah. Yeah, I think most people are pretty happy with that. The, the one that caused the most controversy was Justin Ross makes a catch. He kind of, I mean, he does control the ball sort of. He's getting tackled as he's making the catch anyway. Um, Jeffrey Okada. Uh, Okuda, 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 Jeffrey Okuda rips the ball out and then Jordan Fuller picks it up and runs it back for a touchdown for Ohio State. They determined that it wasn't a completed catch and that he made a football move before the fumble occurred. And I agreed with that call as well at the time. There's more gray area on this one, but he never really got his feet in control underneath him. The ball was never really that 
clearly in his possession and he was looking to make a a play up the field i i don't know i just yeah i, 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 I didn't i didn't disagree with this one time you were you were going back and forth a little bit on it but i think that was more contrarian than actually yeah, belief in perhaps, the call but. And i was certainly one that can see both sides of it like i can see why ohio state fans are pissed at it yeah but i can also see why the call was made like i'm not yeah. I, I do not stand here firmly saying, oh, that should be fun. That, that's one of those ones that comes down to interpretation. It's tough to call, you know, what do you go with? that? And also, you know what, Ohio State fans, fuck you. Give, us, <laughs> give Miami back their fucking championship if you're going to whinge about refereeing calls. <laughs> Eat a dick. <laughs> well, there is that. But yeah, <laughs> I mean, what, what was great about this one was that that didn't determine the match. Ohio State had an opportunity with the ball, with a yeah. minute or so left, to go down and win the game. Yeah. They, they, they could have done that. So it's really disappointing when this sort of thing is the true determ- the decider on it. And people, like, when you're losing these ones, you go back to it and go, yeah, but if this happened, I don't want to hear that. Justin Fields had the ball in his hands, driving in and they Clemson moved the, territory. They moved the they, ball. They were moving. They were looking good. Yeah. And then a shitty route or a, a miscommunication yeah, so, or whatever it was. So we saw on fourth down earlier in the fourth quarter, uh, yeah, or maybe late third quarter, and uh, they got Chris Alave matched up one-on-one on Nolan Turner, who comes in at that safety position, particularly um, they try not to put Tanner Muse in coverage too much, but Nolan Turner was there in coverage and just got torched, really. It was just one-on-one on the outside, and he got beaten. And it looked like he was running the same sort of route. It was a deep in or a deep post from the number one receiver position that trips to that side. And it was just a slow, long developing play and Alave breaks off his route. And I don't know why. I don't know if it was a side adjust or I don't know if it was a scramble play or whatever. Um, and Justin Fields throws it. Nolan Turner stands there, catches it in the end zone, game falls over. on it, and then game over. So. so, I mean, yeah, they had their chance. It was a classic matchup. It was one of those ones that you want to see in a semifinal. Really enjoyed it. Uh, full credit to both sides here. I mean, both proved that they were top three teams in the country. Clemson came out on top in this one. You play it again, maybe you get a different result. Who knows? Yeah. But that's what we love about this. That's yeah. that's why this semi-final is great. That's why the four-team playoff, at the very least, is awesome. Because you know, if you're leaving one of these teams out and you only went LSU and one of these, then that would be a, a real disappointment. Yeah, for sure. A couple of points that we'll I'll talk touch on later, but really important leading into the national championship game. Clemson receivers struggled to get open early in the match, particularly in that first half. Really had issues breaking free from a very very good defensive secondary in Ohio State. And secondly, Isaiah Simmons is a freak. He lines up with his hand in the dirt, plays linebacker, and then was playing deep center field. Yeah, when he safety. made that interception, see, like <laughs> a six foot two twenty pound safety. Well, did you see when J.K. Uh, Dobbins four. broke that big seventy yard touchdown run or whatever in the first quarter? And Isaiah Simmons is running past cornerbacks to, to chase to him down, down, and yeah. he was chasing him down like he would have made another ten yards. He was gone, and I was like, this dude is a freak. He's the fastest guy on the team, and he it'd be like tackling a fridge on legs. Anyway. Uh, we are burning up clock here, so let's keep on moving. Other games, feel free to jump in on any of these. Penn State beat Memphis 53-39. to Micah Parsons and the Penn State ground game dominated in that one. 
Notre Dame crush Iowa State 33-9. Florida beat Virginia in the Orange Bowl 36-28, but it never really felt that close. Louisville beat Mississippi State in Joe Moorhead's last outing for Hale State. And the Cardinals get over them 38-28. Cow beat Illinois 35-20. Uh, shows that Chase Garbers, when he actually plays, can get that cow offense moving. Illinois, disappointing. I was hoping that they could get a bowl victory. Utah in a bit of an upset. Texas smash them 38-10. to 10. Yeah, doing the Big 12 proud because they needed it. Well, they clearly know how to play bowl games. They're... So they beat Georgia in the Sugar, Sugar Bowl, Bowl last, last year, yep. year and then turn around and get Utah this year. I mean, a couple of big scalps. Too bad they were losing to fucking Kansas State or whoever else yeah. they lost to as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, speaking of Kansas State, they go down to Navy 20-17. to Kentucky beat Virginia Tech 37-30, to but it was a kind of last play of the game touchdown after a lateral combination. But an 8-5 season for the Wildcats actually surprised me, and they've got to be impressed with that considering all their injuries and the players that they lost from last year. I think they've actually, you know, you talk about Benny Snell and Josh Allen and all well, those guys and they lost. Yeah, like, they, they were a team. didn't have a quarterback. I, yeah, going into this year, they were returning eight starters or something. like They had yeah. the fewest returning starters of any Power 5 program, so I expected massive regression from them. The fact that they had the best punter in the country obviously propelled them forward, yes. and they've been successful, and it looks like they've got a lot. From what I'm seeing, a lot of seniors sticking around this year, so positive times in Lexington. Florida State turned it over six times in their loss to Arizona State, 20-14. I hope no one watched that one. Georgia's defense controls Baylor in a comfortable 26-14 win for the Dogs in the Sugar Bowl. Oregon and Wisconsin played in a little bit of a sloppy one in the Rose Bowl, but the Ducks, 28, Badgers, 27. It was a really good matchup, this one, though, the Rose Bowl. I don't know if you got to catch much of it. I've watched it very quickly, kind of scratched through it fast. I'll go back over... I've still got a little bit of holiday time, so I'll go back and watch that in its entirety next Yeah, week. it's certainly worthwhile. I know I was heavily invested in Wisconsin in this one, so not only Financially? Did I, yes. <laughs> yes. So I, I had a number of... Uh, Different bets. So I had uh, the on the punt pick was on Wisconsin. I also had some multis that all ended with Wisconsin to win. So I was looking down the barrel of significant uh, payday if the Badgers were able to get the job done. And they didn't. And it sucked. <laughs> good. I was upset. But it was a good matchup. Like, it, it was really enjoyable football. And that's what you want in a Rose Bowl, a historic matchup like that. Like, yes, it was messy and it, it was a bit all over the shop. But it was, it was entertaining and I really enjoyed it. Yep. And Oregon are another team that will be carrying a lot of momentum into next season. They probably, you know, didn't get to the playoff this year, which it was supposed to be the year that that happened. But Mario Cristobal has got them going in the right Quarterback direction. Quarterback becomes a big question for them. Yeah, and a top seven finish or six or seven finish on the year is good for them. Minnesota are not just a flash in the proverbial Big Ten pan as they beat a, what you think, and I think so too, is a very good Auburn team, 31-24 to in the Outback Bowl. That was a good game. Tanner Morgan got going in that one, put up some numbers again. And it's easy there because there was a lot of criticism around Minnesota and their schedule and the Big Ten's not that strong and rah, 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 particularly who they played early. But they've gone on and beaten some really, really good teams. And, you know, they beat Penn State. They've beaten Auburn. Uh, good on them. Fucking A. Yeah. They haven't no. just drifted into insignificance as the season's and This is probably gone. a good time to slide in that we really saw some 
disparity between conferences through this one. So often you kind of you get some random results in bowl season, but we saw some real trends this year in the bowl season. We saw that the Big Twelve was pretty piss poor. Like they they were disappointing. I think they lost all of their bowl games except for Texas's Texas. upset of Utah. <laughs> Uh, the Pac-12 were a bit all over the shop, but not great. The Big Ten were good. Okay. Uh, we, we, we saw Minnesota get up over an SEC team. Uh, Wisconsin lost to a, a good Oregon you know, yeah. Pac-12 champion. But Penn State win a New Year's Six game. Yeah, Penn State uh, got out and, and had a big win. We saw Iowa Michigan State. State beat Wake Forest. Iowa to win Iowa beat yeah so like the, the Big Ten which felt right this year they, yeah they, they came out there and the SEC were really good too yeah I mean speaking of both of those Alabama do get hold of Michigan yep in the Citrus Bowl 35 to 16 as well Are there, I'm, I know I've missed some here so can you take us through any other games that I have missed uh, so we had Cincinnati Boston College uh, Cincinnati won that one easily in yeah. a weather-affected game. Yeah. Uh, two of my favorite programs there. Uh, Tennessee, <laughs> Tennessee continued their late-season surge, and they'd be looking ahead to next year. They, yeah. They're a team certainly to keep an eye on. Uh, they scraped over the line with a last-second field goal. Yeah, uh, but Indiana, Indiana had their best season in as in long as time. I can remember. So, so certainly nothing on there. Uh, there are a few other ones in Ohio knocking over Nevada, Tulane beating Southern Miss, and the Raging Cajuns finishing their season with a victory over Miami as well. Miami, Ohio. Well, yeah. It, not that it would have mattered. Correct. Because, Correct. Yeah, fuck it. All right. <laughs> um, let's get into some helmet stickers really quickly. Talk us through the yes. heavy hitters. Okay, so so the best performances that we saw from this second group of bowl games was Joe Burrow uh, and his insane seven touchdowns in the first half. Ended up just shy of 500 yards and a gaudy 239 passer rating. The fuck out of here with that. That's insane. Uh, Brady White at Memphis was good in their loss to Penn State. He had uh, 450 yards, didn't have a touchdown, turned the ball over a couple of times, but was making a lot of plays through the air. Uh, we also saw, who was it? Kenny Pickett at Pitt in their victory over Eastern Michigan. Yep. Impressive. Uh, Lynn Bowden, the wide receiver running back quarterback at the University of Kentucky, had 34 carries from his quarterback position for 233 yards and two touchdowns, which is pretty impressive. Uh, Journey Brown at Penn State was really good in their victory. So only 16 carries for over 200 yards. That's at an average of 12.6 for those doing the math at home and two touchdowns. That propels him into next year really well. I know you're kind of big on on him as a a prospect and his potential future there. So they'd be feeling good about that uh, in Happy Valley there. Sure. I mean, yep. I'm not really listening. I'm just checking Facebook. So push on. Cool. Uh, J.K. Dobbins at Ohio State in their victory had a couple of really big runs that almost was able to get Ohio State over the line. He had an ankle injury early, but on his 18 carries, he went for 174 yards, nearly averaging 10 yards a carry. If he stays healthy in that game, maybe we see something different. Who knows? That's why we love seeing these ones played out in the field. Uh, Catching the ball, Justin Jefferson at LSU. I know we mentioned him in the game, but fuck me. 14 catches, 227 yards and four touchdowns. That's 
that's like half season stats, not just one game. So, wow, to step up in a semi final and perform like that. Jerry Judy had his best game on the year uh, with six catches and over 200 yards and a touchdown for Alabama uh, against Michigan. So, everyone's expecting him to be like a top 10 pick in this year's draft. He probably hasn't been as prolific as some would expect, but that's because of the embarrassment of riches that. Alabama have at the receiver position. He is a very, very promising prospect. Uh, Tyler Johnson at Minnesota had a really big day. Went off. 12 catches, 204 yards and two touchdowns. He was super, super impressive there. Uh, And that will round out our helmet stickers, short of the national championship, for this season. Oh, there we go. All right, let's move straight into then the game preview for this year's national championship game, which sees Clemson take on LSU. This will be on Tuesday uh, in Australia, down in New Orleans at one of the Mercedes-Benz Superdomes. Uh, But yeah, they will be playing down there. Okay, give me your pick straight up and tell me why they are going to win. For me, it is Clemson in this one. Uh, And quite simply, I have more faith in Dabo Sweeney and the culture that he has built there and Trevor Lawrence as a transcendent talent than the other side. And that's, I don't know, that, that's my feeling on it. That it's not taking anything away from what Joe Burrow has done this year or Ed Orgeron and the coaching staff at LSU. They have been elite there. But I've seen Clemson do this at, this in this game for four years. I saw what they did against Alabama last year. I saw them show enough to me in that uh, semi-final matchup. So you're saying history, proven history, is a big deal for you? Correct, correct. And and I think on this big stage in this situation, I really like that they're being overlooked a little bit. I like that they're coming in as an underdog. I think that they're going to relish that opportunity. And for me, whilst LSU have been a scary good side this this season, I'm backing Clemson in to win this one. Yeah, where are you at? Uh, I don't know. I I feel like I'm in a situation where my head says pick LSU. I was the anti LSU guy last year. I have been pro LSU this year since Joe Brady and Esminger have revitalized that offense. So it would be hard for me to go back on that, but my heart kind of says Clemson. I've obviously got some sort of bold prediction vested interest in this. I've got an ACC interest in this as well. I generally like Clemson, although Darbo Swinney is becoming one of my coaches that I'm starting to dislike now because of how successful he is. I'm not proud of it, but that's what tall poppy syndrome is. Sorry, Darbo. Are you just going to have to deal with it? Yeah, I feel you there. Like the part of me, there's a big part of me that's like, oh, I got Clemson fatigue. Yeah, yeah. I have Clemson fatigue. Yeah. And if we saw Clemson, Alabama, I'd be like, oh, I don't It was like when the Hawks this. winning, all, like Hawks no, and that Geelong. Was awesome. I was all about Hawks <laughs> winning. All. But yeah, that's what it is. LSU's new. Yeah, they're yeah. sexy. They're fresh. Like, and, yeah. And, but the only thing is, they're not that new. Yeah, <laughs> like they're, still, yeah. they're still the SEC. They won one within the last this ain't some ten plucky years. Upstart. Yeah, exactly. So let's just be careful there. But for me, I'm gonna say LSU, and the reason is, 
And I know if anyone can do it, Brent Venables can, but I'm going to say, how does Brent Venables stop this ridiculous offense? This defense doesn't have the potency, and this has been reported number, uh, a number of times, but just doesn't have the potency up front that it did last year. Justin Foster, Tyler Davis, Niles Pinkney, who I like a lot, um, playing off that kind of one techie sort of position. Um, Xavier Thomas and the, kind of the rest of their running mates there in the front four are really good but they're not the group from last year. And you, we saw it in the Ohio State game in that they brought a whole heap of blitz pressure. They were bringing guys from all over the place. They were bringing nickelbacks, two linebackers. And the strength of LSU has been to get the ball out quick, two, two wide receivers in one-on-one matchups. Ohio State held the ball too long and those that rush got home. I don't think that's happening uh, in this game because of LSU's ability to turn the ball loose and, and how good that offensive line is, which means you're going to have to generate pressure with four guys. If not, you're going to have one-on-one matchups with Terrence Marshall, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, or um, Edwards Hilaire on a linebacker. So whether that's Sc- uh, Scalani or whatever his name is or whoever they're, you know, the other linebackers that, that are going to get caught in coverage, and that's dangerous. Uh, so I feel like there's juicy matchups all over the place, but you know, if you're going to leave them one-on-one, you've got uh, Darian Kendrick on one side, you've got AJ Terrell, who is probably the best cornerback on the field in one-on-one situations, and then you've got guys like uh, Nolan Turner, who we mentioned earlier, uh, and you've got Tanner Muse and Kayvon Wallace in coverage, and I just think that's dangerous for the LSU from an LSU scoring perspective, I just I, there's something about this Clemson defense I just don't quite trust, and I don't know why. I just don't have full faith in them at this stage. Isaiah Simmons, as we mentioned, will be asked to do everything, um, but if, like I said, if anyone can do it, Brent Venables probably can. Correct, and and just to insert a statistic in there, Clemson on the year ranks second in both yards allowed per game and per snap. So they're only giving up 260 yards a game on average and 4.2 per snap. So it's not like because they have a a rushing offense or anything like that. They have been very, very good defensively. The argument's always been... Have they played anyone? Exactly right. The level of No, they they haven't played LSU because LSU's the only version of them... They're the, they're the best correct, scoring correct. team. And, but that's the big matchup that we're going to see. We're going to mm. see, will they be able to continue this? Because this Clemson defense is a hell of a lot better than the Oklahoma one that we saw get absolutely trashed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But is sure. it good that's enough a- to put up a stop? Will it be a roadblock? Will it be more, you know, fodder for the, the wood chipper? Who knows? That, that's where we're going to see how this one gets played I'm sure out. that made sense on some level, but uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Um, yeah, I also think on the flip side of that, like we need to have a look at the other matchup and that's the Justin Ross, T Higgins, Amari Rogers. Like, geez, if there's a talented group on the field, it's the wide receivers. F me, they are really good for yeah. both teams. Like, you, got, you got a whole bunch of do like first round draft picks, <laughs> like five of them. Yeah, I know. But I think on the flip side of that, whilst LSU's defense has been much maligned and somewhat criticized actually as well, and they're saying you can score on LSU's defense, Derek Stingley is... He is a superstar already as a true freshman. You got Christian Fulton, uh, Grant Delpit, who a bit overrated this year, but he's good. Like overrated, yes, because he's taking out the 
the award as the best safety. Yeah. He's still elite. Like, we talk about him being overrated. Yeah, he, he's still a top 10 player at the position. Yeah. Probably not the best in our eyes, but still yeah. very, oh, very good. Really, really good. So, and, and I think this comes back to an earlier point I made. We saw last week those Clemson wide receivers struggled to get open consistently. And I think this could be an issue where Clemson gets stuck. Not because Clemson won't be able to score enough to beat any other team. And we saw that last week. It's that if if you waste three or four possessions getting going, you could be down 21 nothing to LSU. And I'm not saying they will be, but you're not making that up against this Correct. team. You, so, you don't want to find yourself in the same position that you were against Ohio State, where you're relying on your red zone defense to keep you alive in the match. They can't cannot afford to be that in this situation two games in a row. I okay. agree with you. So you're picking Clemson close? In a tight one, yes. Well, I think... Can you give, I, I hate picking scores. I'm not a massive fan because I think it's stupid, but I guess the Ohio State Clemson was not low scoring, but certainly not high scoring. 29-23. Are we talking a similar kind of like 28-30 around that mark? Or are we going a little bit bigger than that, more shootouty? Um, what do you think? Or more defensive struggle, perhaps? No, yeah. Know. See, I've got I've got Clemson winning. I think it's going to be tight. It kind of it it counters my uh, bold prediction that I will give you yeah shortly. I, I'll I'll say Clemson thirty five thirty two. Okay, well, that's enough for a shootout. I feel like both teams going over thirty. That's shootouty enough, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I guess that's what I'm expecting to see. Some, something around that margin. Okay. I think I'm going to take... I mean, the logical answer in this one is either you're picking Clemson close or you're picking LSU close, probably. You're probably not picking LSU big or Clemson big. And we talked about that last year. I remember talking about Alabama. What's the result we're least likely to see? Oh, it's Clemson winning big. Clemson won fucking massive. So what's the least likely result? Probably, I don't know, a Clemson big, I suppose, just because they may not be able to score that much. Yep. I'm going to take LSU by a touchdown. I don't know what the score is going to be. Um, I, they're not going to score like they did against Oklahoma, but both of these teams will be ready. I'm expecting this one to be, if not the best college football game a championship game we've seen it'll be in the top two or three i think this one is set to be a doozy yeah you're really hitting a sore point with me now so this game obviously in australia is on a tuesday it is on a tuesday i think it's uh 12 o'clock eastern standard times so 11 30 central time on a tuesday have we ever figured out why they play this on a monday night over in the states i guess it's to not clash with nfl playoffs Oh, College doesn't on. want to go up against the NFL. They play so. the whole season on a Saturday. Give us the fucking national championship <laughs> on a Saturday. I'm okay with it. Yeah, because you're on school holidays, because you're on holidays all the time. <laughs> I'm, again, going to have to try and go the radio silence stance, and it didn't work I for me I promise I will not message you. Oh, I'm t- the phone's... I'm not taking it with me. <laughs> and I'm going to feel lost all day without it. I'm but. going to call your work and ask for <laughs> Will Murden. Can he please pick up the landline? <laughs> yeah, you would stitch me with that. But yeah, no, I'm, I'm unfortunately not going to be able to watch it live as I will be busy working away. But I'm going to try and keep away from it all and watch a replay of it that night. I agree with you. I think this has all the hallmarks of an absolute classic and I'm so excited for it. Okay, well... That sort of takes us through the preview component. I'm expecting a really good one. 
wide receivers v defensive backs will be the matchup in this game. All right, bold prediction time. Yes, so Let's, we've got a, two sides of this we little do. coin to so, cover off on. So we had the bold predictions from last week. Which uh, went really well for me. So let's recap on what you had. It was CJ Vidal to... Have 50 more yards than Jonathan Taylor in the granddaddy of them all in the Rose Bowl. In the Rose Bowl. Bowl. And he ended up with... How many yards was it? Forty-nine total. So I needed Jonathan Taylor to have minus two yards, which he did day. not. He did which not. He, did have not. he had ninety yards. So you missed on that one. But Oregon got the win. So I don't know. That doesn't help me. Okay, cool. <laughs> me on the other hand, I predicted LSU to beat Oklahoma by more than thirty-five points, which is a big line. Uh, I know I gave my on the punt pick as LSU to cover the thirteen and a half. Uh, I know I backed myself as well a larger line i think the biggest line i could find was like 21 and pick your own line i'm like yep I'm loading up on that as well and i was laughing like they they did that i, I collected another time this year bold prediction ding 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 <laughs> surely i should have made some money with these crazy predictions yeah, coming you in didn't, though. no i did not so did. in fact you probably would have come out better betting on your bold predictions than just going on the pun thank you for bringing that up <laughs> yes you're probably right <laughs> But no, it's it's happy that I'm kind of I'm I'm making some right uh, calls here. That's uh, good. I'm going out on a limb and I'm getting it right. So, well done, mate. Yeah, we need to keep a score on this, by the way. Yeah, it's we, we've kind I mean, of you're, lost you're track. well ahead now. But it's um, um, do you have any bold predictions live for the year? Yearly bold predictions. I mean, you've ticked one in the Stanford one. Let's let's touch on that in the the final review okay, of all of this let's get into our bold to, predictions for this one. Shut me down there. What have you got here? Uh, I'm going to say. I've got a bit of a diatribe here to get through, but 79 points is the most in a national championship game in either the Bowl Alliance, the Bowl Coalition. If you don't know what they are, Wikipedia is your friend. The BCS and the College Football Playoff. 79. 79 points. And that was the Texas-USC game, the game that got your you and your little erection into college football watching... That is the game, yeah. Vince Young turn the corner and it's run like the first the... porno you ever watched, but for me it was this college football yeah, game. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, one of the most famous games of all time. Put up 79 points in that game. This one that you will be watching live... Well, not you will, but I will be watching live on Tuesday will eclipse that mark. We're going to have a shootout of Astro astronomical proportions we're talking over 79 points okay yeah no i mean that could happen we haven't seen offensive playmakers like this before go head to head we haven't seen lsu's offense like i, I don't hate that i, I would be surprised but I so think, would I, I, yeah i think it'd be nudging it uh mine is that i am predicting clemson to win by more than two touchdowns so i don't say it with huge confidence because i think lsu are really good but it wouldn't shock me if it did play out. I, I do believe Clemson will win if they can kind of control their game plan and, and get things implemented right from the get-go in this game. I could see LSU scrambling a little bit. And in that case, I think Clemson had the opportunity to capitalize on perhaps some mistakes that we haven't seen from LSU this year and get out by a couple of scores. And for me, I would... Say Clemson by more than two scores is something that I'm predicting. Okay, I'm glad because that's <laughs> that's the general premise of this segment. But uh, well done, Will. Was I selling you with my lack of confidence there? <laughs> oh, that was horrifying to listen to. 
All right. Uh, one more segment to get to, and I hope it is better than that finish to a sentence that you just had, but I suspect that is probably not the We're case. We're getting late <laughs> in the night here, mate. Give me, cut me some slack. <laughs> Take us on the punt, Will. Let's see just how deliciously well you did. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talks. Here comes the money. <laughs> money's not coming dude the money is in someone else's pocket by yeah now. <laughs> yeah well it's it's not coming to me that's for sure so for those of you playing along at home don't i, I must don't have, do I, I must apologize uh things were looking good we'd, we'd had a great last month of the season uh, yeah. things were really positive then the bowls games came around and obviously i need to recalibrate a few things come game how many game times time. have we heard that this year recalibrate i need to recalibrate if you're not constantly adapting and improving you're dying so <laughs> i'm disappointed right, to games. say that uh last week we uh only nailed one of the three predictions so we had uh oklahoma state to win uh, so they had the plus seven. They ended up losing in their matchup that we didn't touch on at all, actually, uh, by three points to uh, Texas to A&M. A&M. Uh, rather than taking the points in that one, I got greedy. I said that they would win. I still feel like they probably should have. But they lost that game, so I lost the money there. I had LSU minus 13.5, which obviously they did easily. But then I had Wisconsin to cover the three points in that one, which again, really tight, really great game, really disappointing to lose. So that resulted in me losing 4.3 units this week. If I couple that with the negative 6.2 units from the week before, <laughs> that takes us to a season tally of negative 13.8 units. <laughs> so that's, that's the downside of it all. Uh, what what's the positive what the positive i have for you is we have 10 units to dole out this week (laughs) and we are putting it on clemson to win paying two dollars 90 you're not going to mix and match any of this stuff here. it's all on fucking clemson because if they win we've got a positive season this year really yeah absolutely that'll get us 19 units back puts us at plus six happy days so, all that we require is Clemson to win with our 10 units, and we're laughing. What about if they're up at half time? Will you be tempted to cash out at that point? No, not at all. I'm backing this in all day. Like, I'm, I, I ain't about that. I ain't for that half stuff. Because I had a few uh, multis that I'd played in our second half. I'd had uh, Minnesota as a pick. I felt good about that one. I had Alabama as a pick. So Minnesota upset Auburn. I had that into Alabama to beat uh, Michigan. Michigan. That's all easy money. I had that flowing in. Had all of this going into the Wisconsin-Oregon game that I could have hedged. I could have comfortably put a significant chunk of money on Oregon and then recouped, like still come out on top. But I'm like, ah, fuck that. I'm letting this dice roll. (laughs) And it only to be bad. <laughs> yeah, only exactly. to be bad. Came up empty again. All right, that brings us to the end of this particular, well, and our last show in its prediction standpoint, I suppose. For, yeah, one more for, after this for this particular season. There'll be, of course, we'll be ongoing into 
the year as we approach a whole bunch of other stuff that's going on, but we'll touch on that when we review this national championship game and then we'll do season reviews, no doubt. We want to get in touch with some boys over in the States and have a chat to them as well. So there's still a lot to come. We will be back next year for sure. I am Go Tigers and you are... All in. Hashtag all in. Hashtag all in. All right. Please make sure you tell your friends about us. Subscribe to the show. Leave us a review. iTunes, Twitter, whatever we do. What are, what other podcast? Twitter's not a podcatcher. Uh, but iTunes, Stitcher is what I was after. Uh, Spotify, uh, your podcast app, all those sorts of things. Uh, make sure you do smash that subscribe button and get around the show. If anyone is on holidays or anything like that during this period, which some people are, uh, certainly pump this game up to your friends. This is, this yeah, is going to yeah. be a good opportunity Maybe share the podcast with your friends in anticipation for this one so they can kind of get a feeling of what we're all about here, what we're talking about. Understand, like, this is going to be an absolute barn burner. If you have the day off, I am fucking jealous. Yeah. And you should enjoy it because I cannot. And get in touch with us. I'll be following along on Twitter. I'll be chirping away. Uh, so if you do want to do that, at CFB Down Under. Hashtag Ask Aaron. Hashtag Ask Aaron. Uh, at CFB Down Under. Or on Instagram as well. Uh, make sure you do follow us on the socials. On behalf of that guy over there, it's nice to do this together. William on a Friday night. My name is Aaron Kemp. That is Will. And we will see you next time.